לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. This is the first annual edition, our anniversary edition by Akko Bakuni. It was last year that we started our Parsha Talk. So Mazel Tov to my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky and Rabbi Barry Chesler. It's great to see you. And Mazel Tov on our first year. We, we've been having a wonderful, wonderful year. I think this has been the best part of the pandemic by oh, far. <laughs> totally. Well, that, that and the fact that alternate side of the street parking was suspended in New York for a long time. Those are the two best things about the pandemic. So mazel tov to, to us and mazel tov to all of our uh, listeners and viewers who have been listening and viewing us for this whole year. We want to give you a big yashar koch. Thank you for, for being with us. We really, really appreciate your time with us. We love your comments. We love your observation. We love the fact that you have made time for us to be with you at, uh, at, at the times of your choosing uh, so that we can study Torah with you and share some Torah because we have a really great Parsha this week. Actually, a double Parsha, Vayakal Pekude. What is great about it, in addition to the fact that it concludes the book of Exodus, is that there's just so much rich content in here, especially if you like the details of the Mishkan, which we get a repetition of, the, the whole uh, construction of the Mishkan gets repeated, but the, the Parsha starts off with the gathering. Moses gathers the people, and he tells them about Shabbat again. So we, we just have to reprise this idea once more, the connection, the juxtaposition of Shabbat and the construction of the Mishkan. Jeremy, I'm going to turn to you to answer or to tell us more about the juxtaposition of Shabbat and the Mishkan. Yeah, so... Uh, this is a religion that believes that at their best, human beings are shutafim We are God's partners in creations, but not just like, you know, the recipients of God's creativity. We've got our own creativity. Uh, the famous Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik said that the, the thing that was most selam Elohim about us is our creativity. And so we believe in creativity. We believe in art. We believe in all kinds of, of special achievements that are within our grasp. And we believe that the drive to want to do those things, uh, even at their most, most, most important, gets warped if you do not also stop, rest, reflect about the way the world does not necessarily need your creativity. The, the world does need it, but in a pulse, right? Systole and diastole, just like your heart and blood pressure. You surge forward, you work, you achieve, you step back and you observe and you look at the way the world is already blessed. So the building of the Mishkan is this is the Bible's greatest testament to human creativity, human artisanship, and everybody's, you know, kol chacham lev, whoever has wisdom in their heart is a participant in this great work. And we are repeatedly, the, the, the work of the creation of the tabernacle, its artistry, um, its architecture, 
repeatedly is matched to ach et shabtotai tishmoru. Don't forget um, the, the the to keep proportion. You have to also stop. So we've had that last week in Kitisa. We've had that previously in these passages, and we have it at the very first line of our parasha today. First lines of our parasha today, which is that you've been doing great work. Don't forget to stop. Don't forget to keep proportion. And I would say that the that the uh, fullest, um, you know, the really nuanced and depth, deep presentation of this is the fact that the Mishkan is a tabernacle, but it is also a, a kind of microcosm. Maybe we'll talk later in the call about about the tabernacle is is in some ways an allusion to God's creation back in Genesis one. And you all know what happened at the end of God's creation of Genesis one. Shabbat Vayinafash. God stopped and rested. And so just like you may create a microcosm um, with light and drapery and, and you know, water and all, all of those, those elements, uh, God stopped and rested, as shall you. So that, uh, that's, that's key. And that, and that does set up the, the conclusion of the book of uh, Exodus for us. And we've, we will talk about this because there are uh, some stages at the end of the uh, construction when the whole thing comes together. Barry, you want to just take in some some of this connection and maybe talk about the way that the rabbis construe this. We we didn't really precede this. So but, uh, there are two points I think that are important to make here. First of all, the rabbis link the malachot, the prohibitions of on Shabbat, to the work of the Mishkan because of the juxtaposition of this passage. The other thing that I would say is that we note here that Shabbat is not a temple holiday. It's something that has to be observed in your dwelling places, in your Moshe Tehem. And as a consequence, there's an element of portability with Shabbat that obviously does not partake of the temple. You know, we like to think of the Mishkan, I think, as a prototype for the temple. The main difference is the Mishkan itself was portable, whereas the temple is not. But Shabbat is also portable, and in that way it mirrors the Mishkan and provides a counterpoint to the temple because it is something that can be observed wherever you are. It doesn't require a temple, although you will do some things or not do some things in your house that you also would not do in the temple, making that connection. So so one of the specific things in the, in the verse here, verse 3, highlights is, Lo esh You shall not kindle any fire or burn any fire. Do, any reflections on why that is the specific or one of the specific rules that is focused on here uh, for, for Shabbat? Uh, perhaps to deal with combustion, destruction, construction. I, I wonder if it actually has to do with sacrifices. That the, we often associate fire with sacrifice. Most of the sacrifices are burned. And this comes as a reminder that even though we're going to have sacrifices in the temple on Shabbat, they're mandated by the Torah, we're not going to be doing that at home. Thou shalt not do this at home. Don't try this at home. <laughs> so, so you want to emphasize the phrase, Let's, yes. yes, in the national house, in the religious house, we do have, this is, this is like a well-known, a well-known fact that we have prohibitions, and we have exceptions. Um, th- there was a, a, gr- a great Chizkuni, uh, um, one of the medieval commentators. I, I had this um, a couple of weeks ago in uh, in in Parshat Truma with the creation of the Kruvim, 
um, there's, you know, obviously the, the cherubs, you know, you're not supposed to make an image of any of the creatures on the, in the, in the, in the heavens and the water and about it. It's the, it's the prime pro- pro- prohibition of idolatry. And Chizkuni said, uh, yeah, there's always exceptions. Like you're not supposed to burn fire on Shabbat, but you can in the sacrifices. And you're not supposed to wear shatnez, the wool and linen, but you can if you're the high priest and you have the and you have the garment and you wear techelet in your in your tzitzit. So it is a system of pro. This is obviously a, a, a religion of mitzvot with some thou shalt and shalt nots, you know, asin and lavin, things you should do and things you shouldn't do. But interestingly enough, if you if you you know kind of look it through, you can see that there is a not small number of asterisks. Yeah. So the wisdom of a rule-based system is knowing where you make an exception. That we cannot become slaves to the rules because all rules will have exceptions. Okay, so speaking of boundaries and going beyond the boundaries, we, we come to a very interesting passage at the beginning of this Parsha, well, into the third Aliyah maybe. Uh, the people bring their gifts. This is really one of the most stunning moments in in, in uh Exodus, the people are, are inspired to be generous. They give, they give abundantly. The text says, Vayomru el Moshe lemor, marbim ha'am lahavi. It was brought to Moses' attention that the people are bringing too much of all the things, all the materials. And so they, they, they issue a decree in the camp by a viru kolba machane lemor, they say, Don't do any more. Don't do any more. Don't give any more. Just, uh, is this uh, tongue-in-cheek? Is this humor? Is it serious? Is it uh, an observation of uh, something real? Or is it ironic? Or, or is it, you know, maybe beautiful? All of the above. What do you think, Jeremy? What do you think? What do you think? You know what? I think that, that all of us who raise money for the upkeep of synagogues turn to this passage and think, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if people gave above and beyond our uh, our goals? Uh, but of course, in our own you know times, you know we, what what we do with monetary gifts is we simply we we endow them, we we let them generate interest, and we 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 have use. Of, we God forbid we should spend excess of what we make or what we raise. Um, I think we you know. Uh, to be very serious for a moment, there is a custodianship that in contemporary Judaism, and I think throughout you know, Jewish history, the, the, to be the custodian of the community's treasury is one of the sacred obligations of, of a community. Yeah, absolutely. So I would offer a slightly different idea here, and that is that, first of all, I'm reminded of the story of the the little girl, the teacher asked her to spell banana. And she goes, B-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-N-A. And she bursts into tears and says, I do know how to spell it. I just don't know when to stop. <laughs> and there is an issue here that I think is very profound, that some people do not know when to stop. And I think what's of crucial importance with the Mishkan is that Mishkan requires donations. It's like the the fun drive going on on public radio right now, but it also requires more. And it's easy to think that you could fulfill your entire obligation just by donating. Mm. And I think that perhaps that's where the people are at. They think they're going to be off the hook 
as long as they keep giving. And what Moses is telling them is that the donation is the beginning of your contribution, not the end. So let me ask you this question because it, it came up in our pre-conversation, which is, you know, there there is the whole discussion of the placement of this uh, of this story within the context of the golden calf episode. And so could it be that the the, the, the excessive generosity of the people is in response to their excessive guilt after the golden calf. Do you, do you, would you make a connection to that? So that fits in well with the beginning of Kitisa, where we have the, the Machatzida Shakal, yes. and it's the Kofar. It's supposed to be an atonement for you. Okay. So in that sense, we could say that perhaps it is. So those are, those are two. This, this is, I think, significant because they're two different sorts of giving. You you referred at the beginning of last week's Parsha, Kitisa, that there's machatzita shekel, there's the, every person gives a poll tax of a half shekel, ashir lo lo yamit, if you have, if you're rich, you don't give more, and if you're, if you're poor, you don't give less. Every single person has, at some level, the identical obligation, but that is, of course, a very regressive tax, because the poor person's half shekel costs them a lot, they don't have a lot of shekels around, and the rich person, half shekel, no big deal. Uh, but the second sort of giving is whoever's heart moves them and they give what is unique to them. And um, I, I would say that, that, the, uh, that the membership in the community does require some basic equality and it requires some basic idiosyncrasy to, like, to, to let people give what they have and, and let them choose. And, and so what we find here, I think, is is that second kind, the kolasher yidvenolibo, whoever whoever heart moves them, and I I do think that that um, the story is told in a way to to you know like have a little propaganda about how great are the, the love and the generosity of these people were. I do like the thought that we're we are still talking about the golden calf, and and I think that the golden calf, I mean the way I would read it. Um, you know, as you alluded to, there's there are different ways of reading it. Some people, Rashi foremost, says that the story is told out of order, that the that the Mishkan is actually sort of a, a compensation, that the people, God realized the people, they just they 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 need something to look at, they need something pretty. So after the after the golden calf debacle, then then God gave them the Mishkan commandment. The other way of reading it is sequentially, that that the Mishkan was always part of the or part of the plan. The golden calf was like a you know, wrong turn. Um, I, I do like that. I do like the thought that uh, something which can fundamentally be good, like the beauty of the Mishkan, can get warped um, in the golden calf. And so what's going on here with the great generosity, maybe maybe it's kofir, maybe they're trying to, to atone for their mistake, but maybe it's also sort of this recognition that, listen, I, I understand my Yetzirah, I understand my bad impulse, I really want to make sure that I devote these resources to the good path and not the bad path. Do you think that they had plaques in the Mishkan? For <laughs> show. Nobody no, gives money to that plaque. I think the entire chapter, Parsha Naso, is like the, the donor recognition Parsha. But that that we, we, we get ahead of ourselves. Okay, so the Mishkan, the, the people are filled with generosity and, and whatever the motivation is, could be guilt. It could be just generosity. It could be, it could be joy. All of which, which you know, in the context of the golden calf, may be a little difficult to understand it. But moving on, 
We get a comment that as the as the building uh, ensues, what do you make of that phrase? And and maybe the connection of Echad, Yom Echad, Shema Yisrael, anything click there for either of you? Well, I think all of them work, all your associations with Echad. I think that the Mishkan is a, the central institution. It is one Mishkan for the entire people. It's not the island where you have the temple that you go to and the one that you don't. <laughs> Here we have one Mishkan for everyone. And the other thing you know, I was struck by when you were talking about the donations, they brought too much on one hand, but they used everything that they brought. Right, there weren't any leftovers. There's no sense of notar or pigul here, things that were left over that could not be used. And in that sense, it's also one Mishkan. Whatever they brought, their heart moved them. They brought, on one hand, we could say excessively even, but whatever they brought was able to be used for the sanctification of God. And and purposeful. It was it served a unitary purpose, I suppose we could say. Okay, moving on. So, oh, this is this is just kind of shot. I mean, it it refers in this line to like the the fabric part, like they sewed it together. But you know, th this speaks to me just on a kind of a poetic level of the forest and the trees problem, right? Like there's a million different little things in this mishkan, and there are and there's like all the different little sockets and all the different little poles, and it coheres. It becomes a, a it becomes a it becomes one, and it's not it's not just a series of meaningless details. It's a it's a gestalt that's that's beautiful in its well, you own. You know, it, I, it, it's fascinating you mention that because I, I think that touches on a theme that that certainly appears. I, I think we could draw it at the end of it, which is that there is a sense of satisfaction uh, at the completion of the mishkan. You know, when I, I taught this uh, this week, so I played a a. a um, a time-lapse uh, movie of, of building a house. And you saw, you know, it's, it starts with the foundation and then they put up the beams and they put up the rafters and they, and they have all sorts of, you know, scenes of installation and everything. And then at the end, you know, this swelling music at the end and, you know, so-and-so company will build your house for you. It's a tremendous amount of satisfaction uh, at the completion. And so Echad... I mean, all the, the things you can say, which is the unitary purpose and, and everything cohering. And Achad, I think there's there there may be just a bit of hint of the potential of your one joy and satisfaction can come from the it. one guy. I, I would just give a little shout out on, on my way here. I ran into this week's Bad Mitzvah family. They got got a couple of twins, um, two two girls. They're, they're, uh, they're, one girl drew, you know, she's reading about the, her, the landing she's going to do is about... Um, the high priest's garment, yeah. and the laning her sister is going to do is parshara chodesh about the most important, the most important mitzvah. And that's like maybe it's a little bit unfair, but the the one of the girls uh, who's giving her Dvar Torah, just give give a little shout out to Edie Price before she gives her Dvar Torah. Uh, she's talking about the passage in the the mitzvah of um, of hachodesh. The, the the Jews get a, a mitzvah of preparing for Passover. Is the, you know the slave is just working but without purpose and once the israelites get the mitzvah they have a purpose to their community and you really feel like exactly as you said you you know the 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 house or can you imagine 
like the images you've seen perhaps in movies or whatever, like the Amish barn raising, everybody's working together. Classic purpose. Example. Purpose. Right. And, and you can really feel the sense of purpose in the people's construction here. That scene in, in the movie Witness. Okay, let's move on to, to Pakude. Pakude gives you, it's, Pakude is, is the accountant's favorite parsha because in, in Pakude, you get the treasurer's report as to how much uh, gold, silver, and other objects were used. I just want to quote the, the verse, verse 24. All the gold that was used in the, in, in the fabrication of the Mishkan, the, the, the gold that was raised, 29 kikars, Shekels in the shek in, in in holy shekel in the holy shekel currency. If you Google this, how much would the sanctuary cost today? Uh, how much would it cost today? I gave this sermon on this about twenty years ago, and it was twenty million dollars. Today it would be fifty-seven million dollars. Okay, Can you, so it's the the inflation. <laughs> Of, so um, how do they calculate that? How do they know what what is? So it's is, very simple to calculate it. You take, you know, a kikar equals so many shekels, and a shekel equals so many grams, and you just do the equivalence. You know, gold today is I don't know how much per ounce. I don't know how many ounces in a, you know, how many grams in an ounce, but you know, with with the mathematics, you can do. What, what do you mean? How do you not know that you're Canadian? They have. I know, I know, but I just, I don't I don't look at the gold prices per you know every day. I look, you know, that's not. The, Halavai, Halavai. At any rate, you, you got an extra 60 million around, you can build yourself a sanctuary, okay? But- um, And that's well, just the raw material. What about the, what about the labor costs? Labor and, and uh, organization, administration, accounting. And we were looking at significant bucks. Look, a, 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 a building today, well, we were talking about the building of a stadium uh, which stadium were you mentioning? The the the, the L.A. Ra the uh, Las Vegas Raiders built a spectacular stadium. I think it cost a billion dollars or something like that. Yeah, a billion dollars for a stadium, a Vodazara. <laughs> Is, could that could that even be true? A billion's a lot. I don't I don't know if that's true. No, it. You know what? Uh, University of Pennsylvania Hospital went up for five hundred million dollars, more than that, seven hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, so, so that things cost money. Maybe over a billion, you know. Anyway, what we're saying is it's a lot of money. I don't even want to get into where do they get this gold. I mean, we'll we'll save that for next year's next year's podcast on this. Okay, but let's go to the end of the parsha. Okay, first, Vayar Moshe et Kol So the parsha deals with they built this, they did this, they did this, they did this, and then. Moses sees everything. A little bit of echo to creation. And it's made. As God commanded, Moses blessed them. Jeremy, what does Moses say? What's the blessing? But by, by the Midrash, he says, May it be God's will to, that the divine presence should rest upon this yeah. This work you have done, this this tabernacle you've built, and then he quotes to really bring it home for us. 
to the way we, where we began, he quotes the end of the psalm for uh, the we that we say. Uh, we, it's not the end. It's not the psalm for Shabbat. It's the it's the we say at the end of Shabbat. The Noam Adonai Eloheinu Aleinu Maseyadeinu Konanehu Umaseyadeinu Konanehu. May uh, may the pleasantness of God be upon us, and may God establish the work of our hands. Indeed, establish the work of our hands. We say that at the end of Shabbat because we're moving back from the stillness of Shabbat to that part of ourselves where we are God's partners, where we're creative, where we're, where we're attaining and accomplishing. And so that's what Moses is saying to them. You, you have been um, successful, creative, artistic uh, uh, partners with God. You've built this and may the divine human partnership uh, be manifest in, in God's, God's establishing it's your It's such work. a moving, moving prayer. I mean, because it, it suggests, I think, the truth, which is, or a truth, which is, Without God's presence in this building or in this structure, this structure is meaningless, right? May may it be your will that God's presence be uh, be with us. I, we we also make that uh, a kind of statement in the prayers for the sukkah. You know, upon entering the sukkah, you say something. May may God's presence be here, which alludes to the fact that the sukkah has to recall something of the temple as well, okay? So that's Moses's blessing. And let's finally get into the, the coda, the real, I think that this is, this is the climactic moment of the book of Exodus, okay? We have all these different, uh, it's year two, first day of the first month, one Nisan of year two, that's the day that the, the Mishkan is constructed, Moses constructs, and then it says, Kasher Bayasech Alaron He places the, the, the tablets in the box, Kasher Moshe, as God has commanded. And if you read closely this chapter, there are seven times that that phrase occurs, Kasher Tziva Adonai et Moshe, Kasher Tziva Adonai et Moshe, as God commands Moses. That is a direct link, or at least it says, to the person who is attentive, ah, there's seven stages here. Uh, what else had seven stages? The creation had seven stages. What we're doing here is creating a divine abode uh, in, in the earthly realm. And everything is coming together. And that that's, is that joy? Or I want to ask you this question, okay? And this is really troubling to, to us who have read so closely over the last couple of weeks. We've had this debacle, the golden calf, and taking the the reading of the, the text on its face value as with the consecutive stages, the instructions for the Mishkan, the golden calf, and then the construction of the Mishkan. What is the function of the Mishkan? Is it simply to bring God's presence or does it have an additional function of atonement for this what do you think, Gary? I'm not. I'm not so sure that I, I see the atonement function so clearly. I think rather what I see is a kind of divine plan in action. What I find arresting in this passage are the last lines of the of the book of Exodus, where God's presence fills the Mishkan and Moses cannot enter. And that is a, is reminiscent of Mount Sinai, 
And if I be allowed to change my tune a little bit, what's what I find here is that this, in the sense, is the counterpoint to the golden calf, because the golden calf is motivated by this need or this desire to touch God. And you need to have a physical God in order to touch God. And the Mishkan, the claim of the Mishkan is you can't touch God. That when God is really there, you cannot be there. You could be close, but you cannot be touching. And I don't know that I see that as atonement, though. I think I see it as some kind of transcendent reality. That the, the problem for us as human beings is that we aspire, but we don't reach fulfillment. Jeremy, you have a reflection on, on the, what's the necessity of this, Bill? And what's the, what, what is the emotion? What's going on here? What's... Well, you know, you, you pose the question as, as the, about the purpose. And, and I do think that the purpose, you know, is encapsulated in the very first thing that we hear about it is, the, you know, I will, my presence will be, the pshat is certainly presence among, among this community. Um, but I want to just flip ahead mentally to, to Leviticus 16, which we read on the Yom Kippur at the beginning of Parsha, Parshat in which sets up the, the mitzvot about the ritual purification of the, the sanctuary on Yom Kippur. And it stresses that, you, that they're sanctifying, they're purifying the, 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 the mikdash, hashochein itam betoch tumotam, that dwells among them even in their impurity. And so wh whether, whether kapara and atonement is like the whole core of the mishkan, I, I do think that what the Torah is telling us is that there is an access to what is sacred in your imperfect, you know, you always will sin. That's what it is to be a human. You will fail, exactly as Barry said. And the presence of the divine can still can even in their impurity will will be there. So the Mishkan does have that reconciliation um, feature to it. Like you you don't you you may make lots of mistakes. You may do wicked things, and the presence is still there. So you mentioned that that this the cloud is reminiscent of Sinai. The cloud is also reminiscent of the moment that Solomon dedicates the temple. Uh, we see that in, in the eighth chapter of the book of uh, Kings, Kings one, and and the and the the temple itself becomes filled with cloud, and and let's just go to the the last the I want to I want to take the idea of the cloud and link it to what what Jeremy just said, which is your imperfection is going to go with you wherever you go, and the last words of uh, the book of Shemot, that the cloud is going to accompany the people on all of their journeys. I say it with, with tremendous emotion because all of a sudden we are we are getting the sense that this, we're ready to go, we're ready to go. And when you're going, you're gonna take the cloud with you and you're gonna take this sense of, you know, the need for atonement and the need for God's presence with you wherever you go in the desert. Um, 
I find that to be a, a remarkable crescendo to 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 the book. I don't know. So, so uh, you, you take a step. Yeah, go ahead. Take a go step ahead. back. You know, we sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by reading the Torah the way that we do a few chapters a week. And we lose sight, as you said, this is the culmination of the book of Exodus. Where did Exodus begin? They began with the Israelites about to become slaves, and God did not hear their voice. Right? God hearing the voice of the suffering slaves is sort of, it doesn't quite permeate the beginning chapters of Exodus. There are hints of it. But the Mishkan is a place where we can hear God's voice. And perhaps what's important is to remember that it's not always God who has to hear our voice. We need a place where we can hear God's voice. And that's what gives it the punch for me. Good. Jeremy. Good. I was just going to say, by the way, you know, you, you mentioned uh, that we have, um, you know, the, 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 the presence goes with them in all, in all their journeys. And we, uh, we, are kind of like with a smile on our face is celebrating that we've been doing this every every partial for a year which we have we're having a lot of, of fun with this um the uh today's the 11th of march yeah. the first COVID deaths were i think on the 9th and the 10th in seattle and then yeah. in new york the first deaths i think were on the 13th and on the 14th they were announced and so i'm my i'm having a, a kind of a zoom service with two churches and a mosque on sunday um, to 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 uh, you know kind of commemorate that uh, terrible anniversary, 525,000 Americans later, and you know like the journey can stink, <laughs> the journey can be arduous, and the journey can really take a lot out of you, um, you know because of the the story of the uh, the spies and then the punishment of God condemning them to die in the wilderness, the the rabbis. Have a have a little piece of lore about that. That every night, Am Yisrael all dug their graves and they lay in the graves, and some people got up the next day. You know, um, that's just a very vivid expression about mortality. There's a lot of mortality, and you're going to lose people, and it's going to be painful. And the divine presence travels with you in the journey. Well, I can't. We can't end on that. I mean, even though we love Leonard Cohen and some. You like it darker. You want it darker. <laughs> you want it darker. But I didn't want to go that dark. I, I, dark. I'll tell you something. Let, let me, this, to me, is a great line for Judaism, Jewish history, diaspora, and coming to Israel. This is, this is the emblematic verse for God accompanying the people. Throughout the journeys, the vicissitudes, the travels and travails, all of the sacred cartography of Jewish history. That's what this is about, man. That's great. I well said. That's, that's, okay. We're that's, also celebrating Shabbat HaKadosh, but we're not going to talk about HaKadosh. In the meantime, we are so, so happy and thankful that you have joined us for this uh, wonderful conversation. We want to wish everyone a Chodesh Tov, announcing a new month this week, and also a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מה אישים? קיץ באוויר. רדיו קול רמה 102.3 FM 